everyone. Welcome to Reservations. We're your hosts. I'm Rain Whalen. And I? Well, I took the one less traveled by. And that's made all the difference. Boom. Rabbit Frost. It's Paul. The guy who interviewed Nixon? No. Frost Nixon? No! <laughs> no, Robert Frost... The road less traveled. It's a poem. I know who he is. I've just never heard any you know, of his all, works. Even if you're a dirtbag, you know <laughs> Robert Frost. <laughs> well, like a, I said, I know who he is. Oh, okay, cool. Ah. Okay. Anyway, welcome back, everyone. Uh, hopefully, Jeremy didn't annoy you with his pen click. Eh, okay. uh, welcome back to episode two of our four-part uh, episodes of our Mel Brooks-a-thon. Mel Brooks. Um, if you listened last week, uh, thanks so much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, subscribe down oh. below. <laughs> <laughs> hit, hit that hit that notification bell. Is, isn't that what the YouTubers say these days? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but yes, welcome to episode two of our Mel Brooks-a-thon. If you listened last week, um, this episode is all about young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Um, this is my favorite Mel Brooks movie. So, so this is very exciting for me. As I mentioned off mic, uh, this is actually the one I've seen the least. Um, not because I dislike it in any way. I think it's absolutely hysterical. <laughs> and I think um, Mel and Gene did something really great together with this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think it's because I saw this movie, the first time I ever saw it, I saw it very late. Yeah. And I'd seen, you know, Blazing Saddles and all of other Mills movies first. And then I was like, okay, I guess I'll watch this one. Um, and it also played into uh, the thing I admitted way back in the day. I have a hard time sitting through black and white films. Oh, man. I just... Of course, now I have no problem. Right. Uh, you know, this... I this... made you watch several of those. Yeah. So. so now I don't have an issue. And, and you know, now I can appreciate this movie so much more than I used to. I am the exact opposite. This is the first one I saw. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, this is, I think, my dad and I bond over several movies. This is one of them. Others would be like the Goofy movie. Um, Love that movie. Right. And so, My dad was really upset I didn't mention... In that episode, that me and him would watch it all the time together. Oh, yeah. I'm because like, I love my dad more than you love your dad. That's cool. <laughs> um, not a big deal. Sorry, Mr. Whalen. Um, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, which, of course, he is. Um, he is a diehard fan. He is a reserve through and through. Yes. Yeah. Day so, one listener. This is the first Mel Brooks movie I ever saw. And fell in love with it. It's amazing. Right? Yeah. It's so funny. And um, I actually got to see this in the movie theater. Uh, oh, really? They did a Fathom event. God, this was years ago. Oh, this was man. six, seven years ago. I don't. Does Fathom even do anything anymore? Well, I mean, not right now. I mean, um, yeah. No, they still do because I went to go see um, 2001 in IMAX. Oh, that was pretty ooh. cool. Yeah, that was great. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Fathom still does stuff. And they were showing this one in Odessa. And of course, it was in Odessa. Made the pilgrimage uh, over the twenty minutes. Yeah, to uh, Odessa to see it, and it's in the the I call it the cool theater, the the one over by the Home Depot. Oh, Listen, Century Eight. These are yeah. These are <laughs> these are uh, details that are only for people who live here. <laughs> so yeah. sorry about that. Uh, yeah, but, um, but I saw it, and people howled with laughter. Um, yeah. Because much like Blazing Saddles, this one is timeless. Absolutely. And will never get old. 
you know, as I as I mentioned last week, you know, me and Ashley watched Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein back to back, and she liked Young Frankenstein so much more. And I knew she was. I knew she was going to say that. You know, as we've learned by now for doing this for a whole year, which sorry we forgot to mention our anniversary, everyone. Oh, we had an anniversary. That's cool. Yeah, dude. That's yeah, shit. we've been doing this a year already. Oh wow, that's yeah. been a while. Um. By now, I think everyone should know that I, I like silly comedies. And, of course, as we mentioned last week, Blazing Saddles is more than just a silly comedy. Yes. But if we're just going to be quick, it's a silly comedy. I like those. Yeah. Uh, my yeah, wife... Yeah, there is silly nonsense in those. My wife is more the... She likes smart comedy, which as I do, too. Um, so I knew she would like Young Frankenstein way more. And also because she loves Gene Wilder. Who doesn't? Oh, Yeah. He's he's the fucking man. Yeah. I think that um, with his his wanting to do this in the first place, it was his idea, Mm -hmm. right, Jeans, pitched it to him while they were getting ready to shoot Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this is before he was even cast in Blazing Saddles. He was just like, hey, man, I got this idea idea of doing sort of a homage to Frankenstein and making it a comedy of like like his grandson or something. And he goes, oh, that's pretty good. Um, try to do it in black and white, or we're not doing it. Okay? Oh, man. And that's, so, that's a saga in itself. Yeah. I mean, just the the struggle to, to get it to be in black and white, because what studios would do is they would shoot it in color. And then? And then transition it to black and white for the States, and then ship it off mm-hmm. internationally in color, because fuck you. And yeah. which is a, a real slick move that mm-hmm. the studios would do all the time. And so when talking to his cinematographers, or he's like, no, we're not going to let them do that. We are going to film this thing straight black and white. Yeah. So if anyone uh, remembers from last week, um, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein came out in the same year, mm-hmm. 1974. Of course, as Jeremy mentioned, they were probably worked on in, in 73. But anyway. Um, yeah, Mel, man, the, the, the saga of Mel trying to sell this movie to different studios and being in black and white was just such a deal breaker. Because didn't he, he, he was going to do it with Warner, right? Since he was already doing Blazing Saddles with which Warner. Is, which is weird. They wouldn't automatically just say yes. I think, I think because of the time. Maybe. Black or- and white wasn't. Yeah, I Who mean... Who wants to go see a black and white movie? That's that's their argument, is no one goes to see black and white movies anymore. And he's like, well, for it to work, it needs to be in black and white. It doesn't work in color. Yeah. Right? Uh, you uh, don't get the homage. Yeah. And luckily, in 20th Century Fox, now just called 20th Century... Oh, boy. Thanks, Disney. Um, they were like, absolutely. Yeah, sure. We'll do whatever we want. Yeah. <laughs> and he's you're, like, okay, you're, you're Mel Brooks. Okay, great. No take backs. Bye. And then <laughs> bye. And he runs out of the office. <laughs> exactly. And so, having it done this way, and having it done in the traditional 1930s style, mm-hmm. that they they had to stick with to make it look so much like the James Whale 31 Frankenstein. Absolutely. So even to where um, I remember I was watching an interview with Mel, and he was saying that. During the the brain or not the not the brain sequence, they were going into the laboratory and all of those the heads like three years dead, uh-huh. six months dead, three weeks dead, and then <laughs> Marty Feldman recently dead um, or freshly dead. 
and there's a little hiccup in the the smoothness of the the pan, right? Mm-hmm. There's a little dip and a little shake, and uh, the cinematographer says cut, and Mel's like, uh-uh. I say cut. You don't say cut. <laughs> and he goes, well, no. I mean, there was a shake. He goes, good, because you know we're not to do we're not going to do zooms. We're not going to do dolly shots. We're doing this like it was in the 30s, right? Yeah. They didn't have that stuff in the 30s. We're not going to use it. And so the fact that there's a little shake and a little dip, that's what happened with James Whale when they would shoot stuff for Frankenstein back in the 30s. And so that's what we're going to do now. Well, and isn't isn't that the same laboratory that well, it's the same equipment? It's the same set and props, right? They added a little bit of extra stuff and made some stuff bigger, right? Mm. To to sell the parody, right? Yeah. Um. But what makes this movie so great is what makes Blazing Saddles so great that I said last week is taking it seriously. Right. Taking Young Frankenstein seriously in its aesthetic, it's in its music, in its cinematography, in its set design, making it to where it's you could shoot Frankenstein in it and mm-hmm. look the same. Right. We just want... The, the, the parody and the satire to to be what makes it funny, right? Right. It, it We don't want it to look goofy and that's what's funny. That's not funny, right? Mm-hmm. What's funny is playing this goofy, you know, silly scenario in a very serious world. Right. Right? That's what works. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So, big fan. So unlike last week, uh, do you think you could give a synopsis yeah, for this one? Yeah, probably. See, Blazing Saddles is different because it's just that's it's, what it is. It's hard. Yeah, I I, I thought it was hard. It, it probably isn't, and yeah. I, I just kind of choked. But uh, this commenter week, on there already like watch this. Oh my god, it'd be the first time we ever get a fucking comment out of these. Jack you know, offs. you could be a member for free on the website. Uh, don't pitch that. They don't care. Just say. <laughs> All you need is email and password. Oh, my God. My wife is a member. Uh, my wife. My Uncle Corey, also a member. Thank you, Brand's Uncle Corey. And that's it. Oh, okay. Anyway. Well, okay. We meet Frederick Frankenstein. Yes. Played by Gene Wilder. He is the grandson of Victor Frankenstein, who is the main pro slash antagonist of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And in um, this world and I just want to mention this really quickly. When we see his body, Victor Frankenstein, yeah. Ashley re- looked really closely and she was like, those are press on nails. I'm here for this. Because they had used <laughs> fake nails. You know. Yes. Anyway. That's really funny. Continue. Um <laughs> so he is a very serious scientist mm-hmm. and giving a lecture, right? Right. About uh, reflex and nerves and blah, 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 right? Uh, real science shit. Yeah. And one of his students brings up his grandfather, and of course, Frederick, you know, meets it with such disdain, right? Yes. He hates that his grandfather has tarnished their name. Their name, right? So where he has to pronounce it wrong. As Frankenstein. Yes. Um, but his interaction and his sort of uh, monologue, I guess, in the beginning is so funny. Oh, right? absolutely. Anyway, we'll get there. So he is shown a 
something or other from uh, from his grandfather, Victor mm-hmm. Frankenstein, and says that he has what been um, I guess given his house <laughs> or something like that. They don't. It, that's something they don't really explain. They just say that not really. He's just like the executor of the will. Yeah, and he's here to bring it to him, and then he has to go to Transylvania. Right. To and the that's castle all we know. To, right. And and so <laughs> gets on a train to Transylvania, which I don't think you can do. And no. <laughs> I don't think it's a straight. They go it, from wherever he's at to New York, and from New York they're to, in Germany. Right. Which is hilarious, right? Because you can't take a train to Germany uh, if you're in the States. So that's super funny. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he gets there, he meets Igor. Um, Played per- by Marty Feldman. Marty Feldman, who, spoiler alert, is the the reason for my joy in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Predominantly, right? Gene Wilder's amazing, but Marty Feldman really hits it home for me in this movie. But if, hey, if Gene is the serious man, Marty's... He's, and we'll get to where there really is no straight man and no uh, and no comedic character because they always switch, right? Yeah, we'll get there. Absolutely. So, so he takes... Oh, and he also meets Inga. And he meets Inga, his laboratory assistant, um, played by... Terry Gar. Thank you. An act- I was going to say an actress. Uh, Terry Gar. <laughs> uh, they go up to the castle. They meet Valbrucher. My dad's, my dad's favorite joke is her name in the movie. Really? It means glue. And, oh. that, and that's why the horse is named. Oh. <laughs> and, and now you're going to enjoy the movie so much more. Yeah. So I mean, I enjoy the gag regardless. Right. Every time she, they say her name, you hear horses. Yeah, it means glue. So that's why they... That's fucking funny. So, <laughs> God damn it. I know. So he is now... In this castle, he is surrounded by um, images and artifacts from his grandfather, mm-hmm. and looks exactly like him, as we can see in the in the portrait. Except uh, voiced by Mel Brooks. Yes, and he uh, and he meaning uh, Frederick is now weighed down with the fact that he might be destined. To reanimate dead tissue. <laughs> yes. It is his destiny. As he says in a fever dream. Yeah. And, and guess what? Doesn't take much. Doesn't take much nudging. Because <laughs> guess what? He's all in now. Yeah. He's reanimating dead tissue. Now he's going to do it. Right? Yeah. Because he thinks, because he, I guess, is, you know, descendant from his grandfather, he can make it work. Right. And it won't be a catastrophe like it was when his grandfather did it, right? Yeah. And so the movie is essentially Frankenstein, right? It's just now it's a little sillier, and um, because of that Abby Normal brain, Abby Normal, uh, another favorite of Dad's, um, Abby something. I don't know, Abby. Abby. You, you promise you won't get mad. You promise. You won't get mad. I'm not gonna get mad. <laughs> not gonna get mad. <laughs> And, and, and the rest of the movie is essentially Frankenstein, right? Yeah. And, um, and, of course, added silliness and things like that. But there are similarities with the little girl. <laughs> there are similarities with the, the hermit, uh, with the township. So, I mean, it's it, it doesn't steer far away from the source material. No. Even though it is essentially a sequel, kind of. 
Yeah. Uh, it is a sequel and a parody at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, so last week, you know, we discussed how Mel, what he was trying to do with Blazing Saddles was hold a mirror up to society. Yes. This is why racism is dumb. Yeah. You're dumb for... You you're know, dumb. Right. You're dumb. Yeah. But you know, as you mentioned, having it being surrounded by a parody, this more is a parody and an homage at the same time. Yes. So this is parody mixed with homage. Not a lot of satire, right? No. Not really. And... You know, Mel, you know, I remember the, the documentary that we mentioned, that I mentioned last week, um, you know, Mel loved... The 1931 version with Boris Karloff, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, when most people think Frankenstein, you think that. I mean, shit, I have the Bride of Frankenstein Frankenstein. tattooed on my arm. Real missed opportunity not to be Madeline Kahn, by the way. Uh, I know, dude. You could have had that be Madeline Kahn on your arm forever, and uh, (sighs) you you fucked up. It's all To be honest. It's all right. I mean, Frankenstein 2, the Bride of Frankenstein, is... Uh, widely considered, Tale of Two Kids. Widely considered uh, one of the best sequels ever made. So Agreed. I would agree with that. Uh, very anyway, much. but you know, and I think Mel, I think for Mel, when making this movie, especially even for Gene, I think it was homage first, comedy second. Yes, it is. We need to take this part seriously, the homage seriously, mm-hmm. and that way the jokes will hit and land way better mm-hmm. right like if this were done in color it would first off that I mean it would work no. regardless right no. it being in black and white helps it being in black and white shot in the style of 1930s uh, production and using the same props and things for the laboratory I mean just seals the deal absolutely and right. then of course I think Peter Boyle yeah of course as the creature um, probably one of my favorite actors to play the creature, yeah. Peter Boyle. I mean, Bor- I mean, I just said it. You know, when you think Frankenstein, you think Boris Karloff. Yeah. But I think Peter Boyle is second. He's so good, right? Yeah. And what makes this movie work really well is it is played as a father son story, <laughs> right? Because uh, it, it it really makes the jokes hit harder because of the emotional relationship Gene has with Peter, right? Or with with <laughs> the creature. Frederick has with the creature, right? It is a father-son relationship, and they play that seriously. Yeah. There's the scene where he's comforting the creature, and he's almost treating him like, and I, I heard this <laughs> interview, like a Jewish mother, right? Like, who's a good boy? You're a good boy. Right? Well, yeah, and just the hello, handsome, and he's like, Huh? Me. <laughs> Love it. Right? Uh, and I notice because he, you know, he's got his, Gene's got his hand on his cheeks and he keeps shaking his head every time he's like, we will show the world. <laughs> and he notices his eyes are like, yeah. <laughs> so Too this funny. is a mother's angel. <laughs> it's so fun, right? Yeah. And, and again, it, it hits on the emotional level too, because you, you get, you get that it's, that's taken seriously as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, Mel says that um, in in an interview I watched today, um, I watched both movies today, um, is that Mary Shelley unconsciously made a film that is saying that men have womb envy. They are unable uh-huh. to produce life, right? Yeah. And so she created a story where a man did. Right? Mm-hmm. In his own way. 
And so they took that idea, that philosophy, and kind of had that be the driving force between the relationship between Gene and Peter's characters. Mm -hmm. And and that really works. Right. It really does, you know, because, you know, all, you know, all... Jean's, uh, you know, Frederick wants to do is do it right. Right. By giving, you know, he wants to give his creature everything mm-hmm. by giving him the brain of, uh, what is it, a saint and scientist of Hans Delbruck? Right. <laughs> that didn't work, did it? No. Um, but, oh, man. So let's, before we dive into Jean, who like we said last week, is is the perfect actor to fly off the handle. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Which... And I, yeah, something I want to talk about with right. that. Him flying off the handle is my favorite thing in the world, but I want to talk about some uh, some of our supporting cast. So yeah. I think first we need to talk about the evolution of Madeline Kahn <sighs> and her comedic genius. She's the one who came up with the dodging the kiss blown by Really? Uh. <laughs> and this is one that my mom will always uh, quote. And she'll go, taffeta, darling. No, no, the, the, the dress. dress is taffeta. And, and you know, <laughs> not on the lips. You know, so my hair. So in this scene that we're talking about, uh, Frederick is going off to Transylvania. And Madeline Kahn plays Elizabeth, his fiance. Um... And she's about to go to a very fancy dinner. Mm-hmm. So every time he tries to do something, she's like, ah, th- I just did my nails. And it's just, it's... <laughs> he can't touch her, right? And it was her fur coat like that she walked on set with. And she goes, what about... And so it gets in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it is too funny. And what, I mean... And of course, the the nail in the coffin that kills me every time is her dodging the kiss. Yeah, because since he it's can't, so funny. He can't kiss her. He can't really do anything. So he blows her a kiss, and she's just like, <gasps> and, and dodges it, <laughs> and ducks. Too funny. Right? Yeah. And that was her. That was all her. And so her, you know, rise to starting to be more comfortable in this comedic world and start to ad-lib and and try new things and you know think and really trust your instincts being like I think this will be funny let's try it right yeah and 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 hitting a home run you know and I think with Mel Mel really helped her with that of course you know I mean like I said last week I love Madeline Kahn she's yeah. so funny part three probably one of my favorite performances okay. of, of the three that we've mentioned with her okay but She's just, she was such a big force, you know. I'm, I'm so sad that we lost her in '99. Yes, you know, but you know, she she gave us these roles that, again, you know, we we said it last week, we were already saying it, you know, with this episode, just timeless performances. Yeah, her her characters just are so funny. Especially when she shows up later on yes. in the film. <laughs> well, when when she shows up at the castle, this is where I'm going to come back, because I promised uh, we bookmarked it, for um, the switching of character dynamics. Oh, the, the straight man and the... Yeah, so she no longer becomes the the comedic force of the scene when she's dealing with Igor, right? <sighs> Marty Feldman. And it is almost an immediate switch, right? Yep. Uh, <laughs> because then... <laughs> 
He's like, rawr, 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 right? With, with, with her like, scarf shawl. thing, shawl, right, yeah. or whatever. He's like, stop it, rawr, stop it. You know? And then, then at that moment, they are both outrageous comedian performance, right? Mm-hmm. And then here, here comes uh, Frederick, and then boom, they both, and then, you know, he's now the straight man, right? Yeah. And it's just, it, they keep switching, right? No one is always going to be the comedic driving force, right? Yeah. They will always switch back and forth. Uh, man. And speaking of, of Igor, Marty Feldman, man, he... Yeah. You know... We were reason kinda, for my joy. We were kind of talking about it off mic a little bit, you know, and, and Gene is equally as funny. Yes. But Marty really pushes the point that this is a comedy, more than anyone, I think. His his character is more absurd. Absolutely. Right? It's more absurdist humor, especially with the hump, that it keeps switching sides, number one. Wasn't it? Did with, it? With, what? And the fact that he just denies that it's there. <laughs> right? And his his eyeballs are naturally like that. Yeah. And so he's quoted as saying that it takes hours for Peter to be the monster, but... With me, it just took a little bit of powder. And <laughs> well, and, and like, uh, one of my favorite, so, one of my favorite, uh, um, I'm try, I can't think of the word, but one of my favorite lines that is both said in Blazing Saddles and in this mm-hmm. is, damn your eyes. I love, I love that line so much, and Harvey Corman delivers it in Blazing Saddles mm-hmm. when he's trying to find Froggy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, look, damn your eyes. <laughs> and then Gene says it in this when they they stumble upon the laboratory. Yes. Because Igor, Igor, says, oh, there's two nasty switches on the wall, and but I'm not going to pull them. And so Gene pulls the first one, and it sparks, and he's like, well, damn your eyes. And Marty looks directly into camera, and it zooms in on him. He's like, oh. Already. Yeah. Too late. Too late. And it's just... Too funny. It's right? so funny. And it's one of his many fourth wall breaks. Um, oh, yeah. He, he breaks the fourth wall so much in this movie. But it does... None of the fourth wall breaks are equal to my favorite Igor moments. And we spoke about it before we started recording. It is when... <laughs> where Frederick is playing the violin on the, on the balcony. <laughs> and... Igor is waiting. <laughs> so they're trying to bring... The creature has escaped, so they're trying to bring him back to the castle. Right, and they're doing that with the music, right? Because yes. we've discovered that the creature really responds to the music. Yes. Right? And so while while Frederick is playing, uh, Igor is eagerly waiting to play his horn part, <laughs> and you can see him counting rests, making sure his music is the same as Victor's. Or Victor, sorry. Uh, Frederick. Frederick. Uh, she music. Okay, 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 okay. You can see him counting rests. You can see him tapping, and then it's finally his turn. And it's just very quick. <laughs> it is just the 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 combination of his patience and his excitement kills me. Yeah, right? and that it's such a small payoff mm-hmm. with the tiny horn part. <laughs> it kills me every time. Just yeah. watching him be patient. <laughs> well, and then you know. In the same scene, you know, Gene is very, uh, you know, sullen as he's playing the violin. You may not even notice uh, Igor the first time you watch it. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and neither did I. I didn't notice it until this rewatch. And I was like, is he? It, he it is. It's too funny because 
Gene is performing it with such gusto, right? And that he's being so animated that your first instinct is to watch Gene. Mm -hmm. Where if, let's say, you missed it the first time, if you watched it again, which obviously this this movie and Blazing Saddles and a lot of his other stuff warrants rewatches just for the bits because they're so funny. Yeah. Right? And Mel says that it's like, you know... Rewatching it is almost better than the anticipation of a new joke because, because they're like old friends. Yeah. Right? They're like old pals. You, you, me with the, <laughs> what is he, the constable or whatever with the arm? Uh, Inspector. That shit kills me too. You oh, know what the, I mean? Uh, it's very reminiscent of Dr. Strangelove with, with Strangelove's arm wanting, it's, it's autonomous wanting to, you know, Heil Hitler salute all the time, right? <laughs> it's very reminiscent of that because he's always trying to, to you know, grab it and drag it back down to his side. And where this one, he just can't move it on its own. <laughs> he has to keep hitting it into different positions. Especially at the end when he's like up and they, they knock it up for him. <laughs> <laughs> and his monocle is on the eye patch, <laughs> which is great. Uh, and, and, um, and that character, I I looked up, I looked up his name, that actor, and I completely forgot. Okay. Uh, but I love when they're playing darts together. Yes, and he cheats because he he goes and he pulls him off the wall. Then when he's not looking, he puts him back, and then quickly he's like, <laughs> "Dad and I play darts a lot uh, when I'm over at his place, uh-huh. and we make that joke very often." <laughs> and he goes. Good grouping. Oh, it's good grouping. You know. And then he keeps messing Gene up and he's throwing him through the window. <laughs> and then we see where they all went. <laughs> he's popped all the tires. He's hit like one of the, the deputies. Uh, it and that that stuff is it's already funny that he's missing and, and hitting him out of windows, but it's this doubling down on it and paying it off. Yeah. Right? Because we don't know where they went. This, this fun callback that it's like, oh, do you remember when he kept missing the dartboard? Yeah. Like, well, that's where they went. Yeah, because Mel, you know, Mel could have easily not shown us. No. And it would have been fine because it was already funny. Right. But then the immediate next scene is we see where they all went and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's where they went. The he's, epitome of Mel Brooks comedy. Because he's, he's popped two tires and then I think he's even popped the spare. <laughs> and then one is in the deputy's hat. Dude, I mean, dude, it's brilliant, right? Yeah. And okay, so we 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 talked about Madeline Kahn. We talked about uh, my 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 favorite, you know, Marty. Yeah. Marty Feldman. Uh, let's talk about uh, Helga. Helga? No. Inga. Inga. Thank you. Jesus. Yeah. It's late. It's not about Inga. I. I love her in this. Oh, absolutely. I fell in love with her when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and she's great because she's also, she she also gets very silly dialogue and getting to be the, the comedic force of the scene, mm-hmm. right? Um, everyone gets to trade off, right? Right. Later, uh, next is Cloris Leachman. So hold on to your hats. Yeah. But for right now, Anga. So um, my mom's favorite is the candlestick. Right, that that bit with the with the bookcase, yes, and the putting the candle back that that's her favorite. Right, put the candle back. And his voice when it changes when he's smushed. Okay, so this is what you're gonna do. It's 
brilliant. And her reactions to that and, and her and just the way she she holds the, she's just so confused. She's holding the candle. She goes, "Okay, okay, I think I got it." Yeah, it, it really, right? The roll in the hay, uh, the knockers. Would you like to have those rolled as a hay? And the the misunderstanding with the knockers. We should mention that uh, the castle has giant uh, door knockers. Yeah. If anyone doesn't know what a door knocker is, just go to any of your local apartments. All of them have little tiny knockers. Uh, but these have big, giant, like, meant for giants. They're, yeah, they're gigantic. And in the scene, Jean is helping Inga out of the cart. And her breasts are right in his face. But he's looking at the door knockers. Yeah. What knockers? <laughs> Thank you, Doctor. It's, yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> It's so good. That's a line I've said thousands of times. Thousands of times. Thousands of times. Like, wow, what knockers. Oh, my God. If you, like, I mean, prime joke-telling time is if you're ever at Lowe's or Home Depot (laughs) and you go by the doors or even just by the doorknobs, it's, I mean, guys, make an excuse to take someone... To a Lowe's or a Home Depot, just so you can say that joke. We gotta, uh, we gotta go to Lowe's real quick. Yeah, we gotta go to Lowe's. Why? Uh, Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, uh, I gotta look at some door stuff, you know, so, uh, you know, door business. Yeah, yeah. Just oh, what knockers? <laughs> and like for real, dude. And then you just leave. Yeah. Then just go. Don't buy anything. That's why you were there. Right. You buy, you buy one stick of gum. Yeah. Like, okay, I want this. I want this gum. <laughs> this is Lowe's. I'm like, oh, I want. Yeah. Gum. yeah. <laughs> so just so you can get the joke out of the way, it's that. That's the prime time to tell that joke obviously there's oh, many other times like if you go to your grandparents house chances are they live in an old house and they have knockers on the door yeah. that's another prime time to tell that joke or or you know if you're any listeners that live in Odessa and you've got friends that live in those mansions oh yeah just go true. over there every day <laughs> what knockers it's like dude come on man we, we're really late to <laughs> you know how much it costs to open that gate that's a, that's a cast iron gate come on man then why do you anyway because I'm going to keep going. We're late to your nephew's funeral. We got to go. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but the knockers joke, right? That was good, right? He goes, yes, it was great. Come on. It's a closed casket. Please. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, God. Right. So, okay. The, uh, I do want to say one of my favorite bits with Inga is when her and Frederick have sex. Yes. And... They use the operating bed to lower down, and he's got a like a long skinny cigarette that he's got like over by her head, and that just kills me because yeah. he's like, as he's talking to Cloris Leachman, I thought I told you never to interrupt me while I'm working, <laughs> and then she hands him the telegraph and then takes the cigarette from him. Yeah, because <laughs> I have a feeling Cloris Leachman was going to be next. Yeah, Cloris Leachman <sighs> is unbelievable. If anyone doesn't know that name, she, much like um, Betty White, she got really big again once she got older. Yes. Uh, one of the roles that I that really hits me is uh, Raising Hope. Yes. She's the crazy grandmother. So And she's good. so funny. So good in Raising Hope. She she steals every scene As she's As of in. right now, it's on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, mm-hmm. definitely recommend checking out that show. It's great. It's the guys who did My Name is Earl. Uh, so, also, yeah. both shows only got four seasons and got 
canceled on cliffhangers. <laughs> Fucking bastards. Bastards. But Cloris Leachman's great in that. She is. She's and again, it's my dad's favorite joke is her name, uh, which means glue. Yeah. <laughs> Valbrugger. Valbrugger. <laughs> and it happens it, every time and the same she name. is... Her reaction every time is just of just shame. <laughs> just like, oh, I know. I know. My name is stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, uh, her her interaction with with Jean when she is keeps asking him if he wants something yeah. is brilliant. So what they do is they mirror each other by by facing away from each other and start walking away and then facing back towards each other and walking back uh, like four times. Yeah. And apparently Clovis was really trying to make Jean laugh. And <laughs> and her just painful reaction to getting snapped at by Jean because it's harder every time, right? Because no, I'm tired. <laughs> and her eyes will shut real quick. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Ovaltine. but No! Thank you! And, I mean, her reaction gets more and more severe <laughs> every time, and he gets more and more angry, and it plays so well. Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, in the, you know, in the documentary with Mel, you know, they show the, the outtake where right after they filmed that, Gene just, like, broke down and started laughing. Because it is, it is so funny. Cause it is. And what makes the movie work so well is the the camaraderie between everyone on set. So yeah. according to people who were there, uh, it was a very light, who very happy dead. set, very, uh, you know, everyone was laughing all the time. It wasn't... It wasn't like, you know, they were taking themselves too seriously. Right. Like, obviously, they were taking the source material seriously. They were taking the filmmaking seriously, but... But on yeah. set, it was very light, very happy, right? Because it's still a comedy, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. and so people weren't afraid to try things and people weren't afraid to ad lib or whatever. I think, I think Harvey Corbin said it best, um, you know, when he was being interviewed for Blazing Saddles that, you know, if the set isn't light, mm-hmm. then it just makes harder time for everyone to come up with, you know, improvisation and right. things like that. Yeah, because. And from what I understand, Mel tries to keep it light oh, yeah. almost on every movie he's worked on. Mm-hmm. Even when movies, you know, that he's not directing, like, uh, trying to think of, well, yeah. I mean, he wasn't really on a set, but, like, I heard when he recorded his voice for Hotel Transylvania 2, um, I'd not say that. he uh, was making everyone... In the recording booth, laugh and right, uh, you know, you know. He's, he's one of those that are just naturally funny. Yeah, right. And so and that's I what assume, happens when you work with Sid Caesar, dog. I assume I know, right? Yeah, he used to work on the uh, on the Sid Caesar show the, and the show of shows and the show of shows, and uh, I think it was. Oh man, I'm trying to remember exactly which movie it was. It was Blazing Saddles, where he said it was almost like being back for the show of shows when they mm-hmm. were riding, right? Yeah. And so, you know, being able to, you know, create a fun atmosphere really works well for comedies, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it works well everywhere, but double for uh, comedies. Especially, yeah, for comedies. Right? Because they, they are able to improv. They're able to 
keep things light, remember it's a comedy, right? Blah, blah, all that stuff. Mm. Um, but anyway, so would you like to talk about Peter Boyle as yeah. the monster? Yeah. And all his interactions. Well, yeah, I do. Very much. Because then we get to talk about Gene Hackman, which, uh, which I love Gene Hackman. But so uh, in one of the interviews I, I, I watched, they were saying that at first glance, mm-hmm. the Peter Boyle character will seem like a one-dimensional, one-off character, right? Mm-hmm. When first introduced in the movie, but it's soon revealed that's not going to be the case. Yeah. Right? He is going to have so much interaction with people and so much to do, mm-hmm. right? Um, that the character is really well fleshed out and he becomes this three-dimensional being oh, yeah. of a character, right? So if anyone doesn't know... Um, who Peter Boyle is. Uh, if you were listening last week, get out. Um, if you've ever seen Everyone Loves Raymond, or Everybody Loves Raymond, he is Raymond's dad. Yeah. Or if you're like me, and you're not cultured swine, uh, the Santa Claus, he is Tim Allen's boss in the Santa Claus. That's true. Um, and then in the sequels, he's Father Time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, he was also in... He's been in so much. Well, I mean, he was also in Taxi Driver. Um, yeah, yeah. He's one of the cabbies that uh, hangs out with Travis Bickle at the coffee shop. Yeah. Peter Boyle is... He's awesome. Um, again, much like Clovis Leachman and Betty White, as he got older, he got more and more famous again. Yeah. Um, so sad that we also lost him. Yeah. We, oh, it Most of the people... In this series, I'm going to go ahead and mention it. Most of the people in the series we've lost by now. Um, I did a little bit of research while we were watching Blazing Saddles, and uh, Cleavon was the first one to go okay. from that mm-hmm. one, I think. Well, he, he died in 92, and mm-hmm. then uh, Madeline in 99. Some of them made it to the 2000s. You know, Gene made it to 2012. Yeah. Still miss him. Yeah, me too. Um, but anyway, um, but man, Peter, yeah. with having very little lines, is still so funny. Mm-hmm. And you you can believe him as the monster. Yeah. So much. It's ugh. so good. He um, he was the one who came up with the, the grasping at what would be butterflies. Uh, when, oh, when Clovis is playing yes. the violin. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, and he just instinctively knew to do that, right? Because this monster creature, whatever you want to call it, needed to be sort of childlike and, mm-hmm. you know, right? Uh, to sell, of course, the father-son dynamic with uh, with Frederick and, right, stuff like mm-hmm. that. So my favorite Peter Boyle scene in this is, of course, putting on the Ritz. Uh, in, well, a, in a King Kong-like fashion, they want to show him off. Yeah. Right? Um, because Frederick believes that he can prove to people, I'm not my grandfather. Right. I have created a creature that is more sophisticated than my grandfather's. Right. So, yeah. So, he and shows him off. And to prove it, he put him in a tux and they, they sing and dance to put on the rats. <laughs> And the monster does his best. Yes, uh, because since um, Igor botched his one job of getting the brain of a brilliant person, because he was scared of his own reflection, <laughs> he gets an abnormal brain, Abby or something, yeah. as he put, it, you know, uh, Abby normal. Um, the monster 
can't talk. Right. He just mumbles and groans. And so when he sings Putting on the Ritz, <laughs> he's trying so hard. Yeah. And all you can make out is Ritz. Yeah. Uh, but you know he's, he's singing yeah, a part he's of Putting on the Ritz. Yeah. But it just... <laughs> And the little, the, the, the canes and the tap dance routines with the top hats. I mean, it's hilarious. It's hilarious, yeah. yeah. And then you can see Igor on the piano. You see him very briefly, but he's not got his garb on. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, hey, there's hey. Igor. Um, so I really want to talk about how they directly make an homage to the 1931 with the little girl. Yes. Go for um, it. So, as most people should know, in 1931, in the in that Frankenstein movie, Frankenstein encounters a little girl, or the monster uh, encounters a little girl who's picking flowers, mm-hmm. and you think there's hope for him, and then he ends up killing the little girl. Right, throwing her in the lake, and she drowns. One of the most disturbing scenes in... Um I mean, for sure in the 30s, in my personal opinion. Of, it, of him drinking. Of- no, is um, the presenting of the little girl to the township. Uh, just her, her lifeless bodies in this guy's arms. And he's, you know, running through the town with her in her arms. It's super disturbing. Really? I had to throw that out there because for 1931, that was crazy. Right? Yeah. Go ahead. And so for this one, so the monster comes across a little girl who's picking flowers but throwing them into a well. And she shows the monster how to do this, kind of exactly like uh, the 31 version. And they have thrown all the petals into the well. And she goes, oh, well, what are we going to throw in next? And Peter Boyle looks directly in the camera like, well, (laughs) as to say is, what could we throw? <laughs> uh, and then, but he doesn't kill the little girl. In fact, he actually manages to get her home safely. That is correct. Without her grandfather or mother knowing. Right. Because <laughs> she wants to play on the uh, seesaw. And when he sits down on his end, it sends her flying into her open bedroom window where I guess she gets knocked out because she's immediately asleep when they find her. <laughs> And then... Very silly. And then um, he meets Gene Hackman. Yep, the hermit. Who I never knew that was Gene Hackman until last night. It is my... It was one of the things I distinctly remember Dad telling me when we saw it the first time. Was the, that the, That's Gene Hackman. Because I remember... I, like I said, this is the one I've seen the least amount of times, and so it never clicked with me. Mm. And we were watching it last night, and I'm like, those eyes and that nose and his cadences, that sounds... Who is that? I'm like, yeah. I know who that is. And I look it up and I was like, that's Gene Hackman. This is right after the conversation. So he just got off doing something with uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, shit. And yeah. And this is after the French Connection also. And so he had done the French Connection. He had done um, the the conversation and he wanted to do something funny. He wanted to do a comedy. Well, I think Gene is so funny. It's kind of funny that there's two genes in the same Yes, movie. and actually they're tennis partners, and that's how he, really? they play tennis all the time together. And when he was asking Gene Wilder, he was like, hey, man, what are you working on? He goes, oh, I'm doing this thing with Mel. We're doing a Young Frankenstein. He goes, is there something for me in there? He goes, as a matter of fact, there is. Ah, see, I, I think I think Gene is so funny, you know. Um, I know you haven't seen it, because I, I know because you've told me you haven't seen it. 
But he is so funny in the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, you're right. I haven't seen that. Like, he, he nails it. Even though, apparently, he absolutely hated that movie. Yeah. Putting that aside, I think I think Gene... I mean, even in Superman with Christopher Reeves, mm-hmm. his Lex Luthor isn't menacing. He's funny. But in a way that makes him more menacing. Right. And so... Like, even though he refused to shave his head. Yeah. <laughs> with hair like that, how could you... Well, um, didn't they make him wear a bald cap at the end of it since he refused to shave his head? Ooh, I don't know. That's a good question. Because, you know, he's revealed to be bald at the end. <gasps> um, yeah. And Gene Hackman's <laughs> his character, again, it's showing that the the creature just wants human interaction and just wants to be understood, blah, blah, blah. Just like the original, right? Yeah. This is similar so he happens upon a blind hermit. And he just keeps... The blind hermit keeps accidentally hurting <laughs> and maiming the the creature. Would you like some hot soup? Like lighting him on fire, like pouring hot soup in his lap. The, the only time he doesn't is when he pours in the wine. Because since he has no depth of field, he smashes oh, right. the wine glass and the creature's just like... <laughs> and that that I mean that whole sequence is so funny, right? Because it's <laughs> first off, it's an ad thing for for seventies audience to say that's Gene Hackman, yeah. right? It's a little added bonus because it's him doing something very silly, mm-hmm. right? And then of course just tack on the actual comedic parts of that scene. It's it's a home run, you know. So. I brought up to Ashley last night while we were watching, because like I said, I like to poke holes in movies, even movies I love. And because the, the final straw is when he lights the creature on fire with the cigar, you know, he mistakes his thumb for the cigar that he right. handed him. And, you know, but he puts in his cigar first and lights it. I'm like, you know, for a blind man, he knows how far away that cigar is to light it. Yeah. We had it the same <laughs> Because he lights his perfectly. Yeah. No problems. And that's part of the that's part of it, right? Because yeah. he, he does everything to him just fine. Right. Yeah. But pours his wine perfectly. Right. But it was once the, the creature he just he can't get it right. Well, and I love when he's trying to pour him the soup, the creature's like, he, oh, he like keeps following the ladle, right. but then always manages to it ends up in his lap. So, so good. Yeah. <laughs> and finally the creature's like no, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> too, too, good, too good. So, uh, he, um, I said Hugh Jackman. Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. Uh, Gene Hackman thought this was going to be like a one and done one day or whatever. Really? Yeah, because he's like, it's a comedy, right? Comedies are silly, easy. right? Yeah, comedies are easy is what he thought. And he was there for like four days. Wow. So, because he didn't understand that Mel takes this very seriously and he's going to shoot it very seriously because mm-hmm. yes it's a comedy and yes it's silly but the production is serious as we've alluded to right as we yes. said this was taken very seriously because it needed to right? right to work it needed to be treated with adult gloves not kid gloves yes right? so. and speaking of adult gloves mm. would you like to discuss what happens when the creature meets Madeline Kahn <laughs> well um in a in a very similar scene uh, that was cut from Blazing Saddles, because uh, she was um, meant to have a similar scene 
with Cleavon Little's character in Blazing Saddles, where the joke was, "Oh, um, is it true what they say about you, you guys?" And then she goes, "Oh my God, it is true." And the joke was supposed to be Cleavon Little saying, uh, "I hate to disappoint you, but you're sucking on my arm." Sucking on my arm. <laughs> God, that would have been so good if they Which, left it in. I mean, brought the house down when they were playing it for the crew, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the, the studio's like, absolutely not. That's too much. Yeah, and 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 something that I kind of, you know, I'm about to mention a very terrible example of how trying to remake... There's still time for you not to. Um, well, hang on. Okay. Uh, how, to, how to not put your own twist on Frankenstein doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I'm, of course, talking about uh, Victor Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. With James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. That had all the makings of a good movie. I have not seen that. It's awful. Well, that's what I've heard. Don't watch it. Um, It wasn't good. Because they they wrote it as... So Daniel Radcliffe plays Igor. Mm -hmm. And they write it as he's just as brilliant as Victor Frankenstein. Hmm. And his hump is just a cyst. That they uh-huh. end up popping, and then he stands up straight the whole movie. Lame. It's fine. Uh, but anyway, but something that I did like, the one thing I liked about that movie is because it's something they did in Young Frankenstein, is they realized that to build the creature, he has to be big, mm-hmm. and he has to be large. Of course, in Victor Frankenstein, they explain it way too much. Like, oh, since he has to be this big, he has to have two hearts. Stupid. Anyway, but Inga's one contribution to the fact that the creature has to be big is he has to have, is he must have a. I'm going to try to say it, but I don't think I can. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, sh- sh- you're just going to have a. It's just schwanz. Schwanz yeah. is Yiddish. Uh, for betas. Yeah. And and I love how she, when she tells Gene, he's in the middle of eating and he goes, well, it stands to reason. <laughs> um, and so, of course, Madeline Kahn's character being sort of distant and awful to... Gene. To Gene has an affair with the creature. Well, I mean, Gene had an affair with Inga. So That's true. It's I. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, they weren't legally married. That, okay. Oh, that's a good point. They were just they yeah. were just engaged, right? And they hadn't had they hadn't touched each other, so right. Alluded to at the train station, you know, where he was excited for the wedding night, right? Yeah. Well, and even when she comes to visit, he's trying to right. You know. But then the creature just <laughs> just whips it out, and I love what she's just the whole whoa. In in her uh, her opera, right? Is <laughs> right is. <laughs> is a good representation without having to show it, right? Right. Um, it's a good little nod, wink, nudge, nudge, right? Um, and then eventually <laughs> eventually she gets hair. Just like the Bride of Frankenstein. The Bride of Frankenstein. And it, it, brilliant. Well, right? well and, and one of the things I love, and kind of going back to just Madeline just being just a, just a comedy powerhouse, is when... Um, I guess her and the creature are about to have sex again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been seven times? Good Lord. Um, and uh, this is when Victor is trying to lure the monster back. And uh, Igor is waiting for his moment. <laughs> so um, And the monster leaves. And she just goes... <laughs> she goes, oh, you men are all the same. 
seven or eight good quick ones and you're off to the bar to, to talk with the boys. You better not tell anyone. I think I love him. <laughs> it's just so good, man. I just I, I just love Madeline yes. Kahn so much. Yes. Madeline Kahn is amazing in this. Of course, she's amazing in all of Mel Brooks's things. Uh, and she'll be in the other two that we talk about. So yeah. she uh, she's in all of these. But then, you know, the the only the only thing that has always kind of thrown me for a loop is the third act. Okay. Is the transference. That's the part that always kind of throws me. It's it's an interesting direction to go. Mm-hmm. Um because obviously that doesn't happen in James Wales, right? Yes. Um the creature, you know, it's a you know, whatever. Uh and Victor in the whatever. Um <laughs> but in this one, again, it needed to go a different direction because it is a parody. Right. Right. But it's also uh it's it's also a sequel, which it, it's 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 a sort of odd balancing act between this homage to the original, keeping things sort of similar, right? Mm-hmm. But maintaining that it is technically a sequel right because this is his grandson right right so it can't go the exact same direction yeah so so what i'm referring to everyone is victor i'm doing it now sorry uh frederick gene wilder uh, has figured out that the reason why the creature is so aggressive is because of cerebral fluid uh filling his brain which is kind of something he alludes to in his lecture at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And he's figured out a way to calm the creature down. They just need to get him back. And so they get him back and he has built this machine that hooks them to hooks their brains up together and it's a way to calm the creature down but potentially at the cost of each other's lives. Right. Um, And it's interrupted in the last seven seconds by the townspeople rioting but the creature is able to articulate everything, which also is hysterical that he's able to talk so eloquently right. and calm everyone down. And even the inspector's like, I'd like to shake your hand as a friend. And then he pulls his hand out and he's like, oh, um, but, you know, that, that part is always just kind of because, you know, Igor says, you know, he said to wait 15 minutes exactly. And they don't really explain what's supposed to happen. And that might be part of the joke, right? That it's such a specific amount of time. Yeah. I, I mean, it would have been funny if it was like 13 minutes or something. Something stupid, you know what I mean? But, um, and so that the fact that it was interrupted halfway through, mm-hmm. right, um, sort of pays off the very end where they kind of each get something from the other, right? Right. Of course, um, uh, Frederick getting uh, the schwanz. The schwanz. Right? Yeah. Uh, which doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't matter, right? And <laughs> I, just, I love Peter Boyle's, uh, he's wearing glasses and striped pajamas, similar to, uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, and, you know, he's in bed with Madeline Kahn, and, right, it is... And, and Inga and Frederick have gotten married. Right, and just his his sort of acclimation to mainstream society to where now he's he's sort of this, you know, uh, lovable goof, 
and annoyed with Madeline Kahn. And, yeah, because I think the newspaper is reading, it says something about stocks or something yeah, like on he's, it. He's just like... <sighs> right, like his intelligence is now up there and surpass Madeline Kahn's, right? Of course, is what they're trying to allude to. But but at the same time, I don't think he can still speak. I think he just speaks and... Like, mm-hmm. But he understands. Right. But then Gene can be kind of hypnotized mm-hmm. as we just, you know, because then Inga starts singing or humming the, the tune. The melody. Right, yeah. And it kind of puts him in a trance. And he starts grunting, right? And that's, the, you know, obviously it's the... Yeah. Right. It, <laughs> I don't mind, right? I yeah. do like that it went to that sort of, obviously it has to go in a comedic direction, right? maintaining that sort of homage to this very outlandish scientific experiment, right? Mm. With this transference deal, it's got to look crazy, right? With right. the helmets and the tubes and the <laughs> stuff. And yeah, that Marty Feldman like hits, you know, because one of them won't stop and he just smacks it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the source of most of my joy yeah. is Feldman, yeah. right? Um, he kills it. So... So funny. And so, I, you know, I think that this movie does the perfect job of melding homage and parody. Absolutely. Right? And the reason we I, I can pretty much prove it is that <laughs> it is his most successful movie. And mm-hmm. it's spawned a Broadway production. Right? Yeah. As, uh, we, we were kind of listening to the soundtrack and... Um, I think it's the situation of, uh, you know, we're so used to this. Right. As listening to a little bit of the soundtrack, we were like, no. Like, I don't know if I would even be able to watch the Beetlejuice musical either, right? I've seen a little bit of it. Okay. Uh, It's not bad. Okay. Because they take more of an original approach to it. I see. But Tim was very heavily involved. Well, and he, I mean, and so was Mel with this one. I mean, it's, yeah. it's you know, he wrote the music for it, right? He wrote the songs. Mm. So, I mean, it's, I haven't seen it. So I have no idea. It's I mean, got to be really successful because it is successful, right? So it's got to be good, yeah, right? We, we just got to take a trip to New York now, I guess. Oh, I guess. I don't know if I want to. but Got to uh, see Regan Thompson, you know? Oh, got to see Regan Thompson. <laughs> uh, shout out to Bourbon. <laughs> Bourbon. So, I can only, so like I said, I can almost prove that it's his best because it's his most successful and mm-hmm. it spawned other things, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it is, of course, my favorite, my personal favorite of Mel Brooks's films uh, even though being a gigantic Hitchcock fan you would think it'd be the other one yeah but it isn't it's this one right and right. I think it's a lot of it has to do with you know nostalgia it was the first one I saw you know it you know plants me in a certain time and place I get to bond with family over it other people right mm-hmm. this is a movie that everyone seems to know and that everyone seems to be in on it Right. Yeah. We could. I could. <laughs> I could ask a stranger. I'd be like, walk this way, and then I could do the little bit, and then they would get it. Yeah. More than likely. Right. Well, maybe maybe not use that. Ex- you know, because I've seen that in other comedies where like walk this way, and, and then they're like, you, no. and, <laughs> or the what hump, or you know the knockers thing. I mean, it's everyone seems to be in on it. Right. Yeah. This is. I mean, Blazing Saddles. Yes. But not as much. I don't know if I if I can see people quoting that one as much. Yeah. People get this one all the time. At least in my life. 
Yeah, I would say, you know, Blazing Saddles definitely doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, not necessarily quotable lines, but like, you know, lines that as soon as you say, you get, you know, like, oh, you're talking about Blazing Saddles, you know, like, you know, like, but Back to the Future, you know, the 88 miles an hour, mm-hmm. or you built a time machine out of the door, you know, people know what you're talking about. Right. And definitely, I think, with Young Frankenstein, if you even, you know, mention the, you know, the Abby something, Abby normal, people, like... So, uh, shout out to my buddy Kale and his and his mom, Alma. Uh-huh. Uh, Alma has a little uh, brain in a jar in her office and taped on it says Abby Normal, right? That's awesome. And so, yeah, I mean, of course, everyone gets it, yeah. right? And it is, I mean, it's my favorite thing in her office. <laughs> so, sure. so, Jeremy, are you ready to wrap up, wrap up, wrap up? Wrap up, wrap up, wrap up, yeah, man. Um, it's, I mean, too bad it's the second one. Should have ended on it. It's the best one. So uh, I uh, love well, Young Frankenstein, but we're, we're doing, doing it in, in the way of we're doing chronological order, yeah. yeah, which is fine. Um, Young Frankenstein is my favorite, so it's the best. I I can't recommend it enough. I can't praise it enough. Yeah, I mean, you know? when we get to part four, I'll. That's something I definitely want to discuss is Mel's rating, which we kind of we talked about off right, the, and Mike. you know where it fits in societal significance mm. this one I think even outweighs Blazing Saddles in in sort of it's place in the cultural lexicon and yeah. being in culture in general I oh, think yeah. that this one has the bigger impact so oh, yeah. I'll, that's what I have to say yeah well, uh, we hope everyone enjoyed. So for part three, part three. next week, uh, so Young Frankenstein is not Mel's first, well, it is, it's his first, but it's not his only parody and homage to something. Nope. Uh, second one being Silent Movie, which unfortunately is not the next episode. No. The next episode is actually an homage to Alfred Hitchcock called High Anxiety. Um, it is... I think one of his most absurd movies. Yes, I was gonna say. Oh wow, man, get out of my brain. Yes, I was gonna say it's one of the one of the most. It's the goofiest and yeah. the most absurdist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it really does show a genuine love and respect for, for Alfred Hitchcock. Well, and apparently, uh, and we'll talk about it more next week. But apparently, Alfred loved the movie. He thought it was awesome. It's very funny. But he his one uh, critique was uh, when... I'm not going to say it, but when they parody the, the one scene, um, Alfred said, those are the wrong shower rings. I didn't use those. <laughs> and Mel was just like... Great, but well, how was the other Mel stuff? Mel was like, well, it's kind of too late. We already shot this, it's, you know. It's, it's too late, Al. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know... When I first saw this movie, I didn't know what to expect, mm-hmm. but you know it. It has, you know, it uses a lot of actors that Mel has used in the past. Harvey Corman comes back, Clovis Leachman comes back, Madeline Kahn comes Madeline back. Madeline Kahn is back. Uh, and that's really about it. I mean, well, and then of course Mel. Yeah, um, Mel himself, uh, who is the main character. Yeah, of this I think one. this um, was he the main character in Silent Movie. 
Well, him, Marty Feldman, and Dom DeLuise. Okay. And the whole point of that is they're pitching a silent movie. So I think this would probably be safe to say that it is his first major role, right? It's the first time he's put himself front and center. Yes. Which uh, is something I want to discuss next week about. May lead to some problematic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we hope everyone enjoyed part two of the four-part series of Young Frankenstein. And uh, we will see you next week. Have you seen the well-to-do up and down Park Avenue on that famous thoroughfare with their noses in the air? High hats and arrow collars, white spats and lots of dollars, spending every dime for a wonderful time. Now if you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits?